Hi, and welcome to, well, this doesn't really have a name yet. Um, this is kind of a pilot episode um, for you guys to check out and to see how this whole thing works. Basically, um, it's difficult to get the other podcasts going at the moment for various reasons. Um, so I thought I'd try and do something a bit different. Um, so here we are. Basically, uh, this idea I've had is to listen to an album. So, <clears throat> excuse me, for the duration of this uh, this podcast, um, we'll be listening to an album. Um, the focus will be kind of around that album. I'll be kind of making observations on the music and uh, it'll be strictly for the length of that album. So if this kind of thing pans out and I do this again, I can pick various albums and with various durations and we can go from there. But the idea behind this is to have something that's akin to maybe a little bit of a stream of consciousness. Um, I've got some questions that people have asked, um, some other things to potentially talk about, um, but just looking for something that's got no editing, no retakes. So yeah, they'll be coughing. Um, and they'll be stuttering and I'll probably get lost a couple of times but you know what, fuck it, it doesn't matter um, so yeah, so I thought that would be something potentially interesting um, so the score that we're starting with today is The Terminator by Brad Fidel um, it's about 65 minutes overall um, it would be a bit longer with the um, final track on it, but the final track was just an extended version of the theme. So there's, um, it's a bit extraneous for this, so I thought I'd just take it off. So um, today we will be listening to The Terminator. So let's start this off now. So a bit of a nerd fact, this first wasn't used in the film, it was in here, which is one. Um, that's mega nerdy, but that's the kind of stuff you're going to have to put up with on this podcast. Um, why did I pick The Terminator? Because I love it. Because it's an amazing score. Um, Fidel, his work on this film was just a genius. It's a great film. Um, it's got lots of different elements and even though it is completely synthetic, um, completely electronic, um, there's still some lovely sounds on it um, that are trying to replicate something maybe more orchestral but still with that same synthesized sound and it gives it a really different feel to it. Um, and this ostinato, the machine-like element of it, um, which obviously representing the Terminator, it's a great kind of the ostinato. It's just a great thing uh, the fighter worked out. Um, and then it's interrupted by the the main theme, the uh, the love theme, as it were, which is one of the, the more human side. So you've got the machine side. Um, which is very cold, very repetitive, very computerized, and then you've got the human love theme, which is a bit more emotional, a bit more passionate, um, and kind of represents obviously the, the, the kind of fight, um, and uh, the way they clash is always really interesting, and it's just a great, great, um, great theme, really. Um, now, I read somewhere that uh, the actual theme is in this kind of mental time signature um, that was only kind of properly revealed uh, recently um, when Slate did a uh, had an interview with Brad Fidel um, and they figured out that uh, the actual time signature 
that uh, the, the Terminator theme was in was uh, 1316 which is just crazy and everyone's always tried to figure that out um, and the, uh, the, the score was uh, was was composed on uh, a profit 10 and an Oberheim some of the some of the machines used um, but here we have these kind of really ominous droning elements um, for the uh, for the arrival of the Terminator and then the and again it's so creepy and so ominous and it kind of backs up the way that the Terminator it's kind of usually classed as a sci-fi action film especially because Schwarzenegger is in it um, but it really is um, for me I identify with it most as a horror film it's a slasher film um, with the, the, the sci-fi trappings and that's what makes it really really interesting um, this version listening to now it was released by Milan Records last year um, that is 2016 and so one of the good things to come out of 2016 and uh, was released under what they call the Nicholas Winding Refn Presents line so basically Nicholas Winding Refn um, got together with Milan and uh, said I want to release these soundtracks um, and uh, he did. The first one he did was Robocop, um, which itself was a remaster of um, the Entrada album that came out a few years ago. See these crazy, crazy sounds. Um, but the good thing about him doing the Terminator was the fact that there hadn't been really a decent version of it. Um, the original album that came out when the film came out, uh, the LP was uh, was a good album. Um, one good thing about it is it had all of the uh, the, the songs on that you hear in the film, um, as well as five or six of the uh, of Fidel's score tracks. Um, so it's a nice mix, and uh, I've been dying to get a copy on vinyl for ages and ages and ages and it's pretty expensive although not that rare um, just more expensive than other thing and then in about the late 90s um, maybe even earlier than that um, <clears throat> a German label um, called something like Cinerama or something like that I can't remember their exact name um, released what they call actually said on the package the definite edition um, and it wasn't first of all it had really bad sound um, it just kind of felt really flat um, and there were a lot of pieces that were incomplete um, notably the, uh, the, the the finale and the uh, and the end titles <laughs> Uh, so cut to the Milan release and pretty much everything is there. It's not complete, but it's as good as you'll get. And uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's an amazing album. And, uh, and certainly if you get it and then get a digital or a CD version, rip that and then put it together with the songs from the, uh, from the original LP, and it's even better. See, so this weird kind of synth stingers that just kind of pop out and the do 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 do. Um, music for Reese, and again, it's it's really nice the kind of tension that the film has from this music um, in the opening. So you have the Terminator coming through, and then you have Reese coming through, and. We only know that the Terminator is a bit badass because he goes and he kills three people immediately. 
Um, well, presumably he kills the, the last guy that starts stripping um, after he kills Bill Paxton and um, Brian Thompson. Um, the punks. And then you have Reese. He arrives. He steals someone's uh, trousers, pants, and uh, then gets chased by the cops. But again, we don't know that he's the hero of the piece. Um, so the kind of the tension that the that the score um, presents with that sequence is uh, is really interesting. It's, it's it's really nice that it just doesn't give anything away. <clears throat> um, so, in case anyone doesn't know, um, my name is Charlie Brigden and I run a, uh, a website called Movie Drone. Um, now, some people might not know as well, even uh, regular visitors, that up until the end of December, um, the website was called Films on Wax. And has been for about three years. Um, and for various reasons, it was called Films on Wax originally because um, there was supposed to be a heavy focus on soundtracks on vinyl. Um, now, the thing about soundtracks on vinyl is that they're expensive. So, um, they're not as easy to get from PR companies and that thing, unless you're someone massive. So if you're like Factmag or something like that, or The Quietus or Pitchfork or whatever, or one of the really big uh, music sites, then you're generally not gonna get this stuff um, as promo releases. Um, so, most because most of my stuff, most of the stuff I review comes through um, digitally, occasionally on CD. Um, if it's stuff that's just available on CD, CDs, um, because of their nature and because they're still pretty cheap to produce, um, are still um, are still sent out. So, at least to the the underlings, I guess. Um, so everything comes through digitally and while you can review the music that way um, if I get some if I get a file a, a set of files that is basically the, the digital version of an LP I can't in good conscience review that as an LP because I don't know what it sounds like fair enough the actual digital files could sound really nice but the pressing could be shit. And uh, I like to think I have a, I don't know, I have a bit of a, a self-reputation um, on being a stickler for that kind of thing. Um, and there's no point for me reviewing an album if you're not going to have a section on sound quality. And if I can't talk about the sound quality um, and talk about it honestly, because um, people can always put generic things um, about the, the clarity and how full it sounds and all that kind of shit. Um, but at the end of the day, you want to be able to write that and actually know what you're talking about and actually mean what you're talking about. Um, so because of that, and also um, if you're not getting vinyl promotionally, then you have to buy it and again it's expensive even as a personal as someone who buys vinyl um a again it's it's really expensive so i mean some of the ones that come in that are imported i mean because there's kind of like the split between soundtracks that are produced um in europe um a lot of them like italy particularly kind of like cinevox and um Degarel and stuff like that, and then some of the UK labels, and then you've got the American labels. So you've got Mondo and 
Deathbolt Sue and I obviously put a Monday uh, and then Waxwork and then people like STS uh, and Lunaris and people like that <clears throat> and uh, and unfortunately because of the cost that is to uh, to import these records I mean people know how much it costs just to import them personally so I don't know how much of a different cost um, it is to import them wholesale but either way you go into a shop and you look at something like a waxwork record and um, in nine shops out of ten it's like 40 quid maybe 45 quid same as some of the mondos as well um, I'm not going to piss about and complain about it. It is what it is. Um, and the demand is there as well. And pe people do pay the prices. And it's it's not that I don't want to pay the prices. It's that I just simply cannot afford the prices. Um, luckily, you do have stores like Transmission. Um, run by Spencer of Death Hots, Who, with his industry-wide connections especially about kind of working for rough trade and doing all their records day record store day stuff um then from there he's able to kind of bring that stuff in and and, and charge really decent prices for it which is very really nice um but unfortunately that can't really be kind of looked upon on the whole of the uk so i can't run a website of film review a soundtrack review website on doing that buying records and, and spending so I don't know if, if I wanted to even say if I wanted to um, review four five records um, a month that's still potentially 150 200 quid um, which, especially with a family and all that kind of rubbish, I don't have. Um, so I could no longer good conscious um, do that. And so because it kind of stuck with me a bit and it, it felt like kind of a, a bit of a, a weight around my neck that I called it Films on Wax, but it was never able to be able to live up to that potential. So I wanted to call it something different. Movie Drone is something that I heard called my past. Might called the uh, one of the podcasts I done the more documentary style one, um, and uh, it's always been a title I liked. It's totally from a um, homage to a show that used to be on uh, BBC Two back in the day called Movie Drone, um, which was basically just a ten-minute introduction. Um, to a film. Now, what they used to show is they used to show really cult films and random films, just just stuff that you wouldn't would be quite difficult to either find or see on other mainstream channels. Um, so it was a lot of kind of real kind of genre stuff, um, and uh, the first kind of set of. Um, series or seasons if you want to say it um, was presented by the uh, the director um, Alex Cox um, and then the, the second amount was um, by the uh, filmmaker uh, Mark Cousins so uh, and they basically it was just 10 minutes of giving a context for the film how it was made what it's about and the kind of time it was made so to give you an idea of what was going on um, not just in terms of current events but also politically as well culturally, geographically and give you all these kind of things to show you when the film was made and uh, maybe give you a bit more of an appreciation because I do find that a lot of times people, especially with where these films are released on um, DVD or, or released cinema, like reissued and uh, without any context so, any context so you have people coming in and you watch them and you kind of have people taking the piss a lot of the time 
because they don't understand about these films when they were made what was going on when they were made and they just take them at face value when context is such an important thing that I think is it's lost a lot of the time um, one of the films I saw for the first time on Movie Train was The Terminator um, which is like the, uh, the network TV premiere or what have you and there was all kinds of other stuff like Escape from New York and American Wolf in London um, and The Incredible Shrinking Man and things like that um, and it was just amazing and, and a really influential kind of period and I, I wish it would return um, this chase stuff here is amazing and again a real idea of, of what tells it to me that it's a real kind of horror slasher kind of feel because this is the kind of thing that you would just kind of repetitive weird um, kind of texture and tone is the kind of stuff you would expect to to, uh, to hear in a slasher film especially about around this time um, where thanks to people like John Carpenter um, the uh, the synthesizer landscape was uh, was was full on especially with slasher films um, and certainly some of the the Italian composers as well like, um, Fabio Fritzi is uh, one of the uh, the real obvious ones so uh, speaking of John Carpenter um, <clears throat> One of the, uh, the the cool things to be um, unveiled recently is that Waxwork um, are doing a reissue of the soundtrack to The Thing um, on vinyl. Um, I'm, I'm in two minds about it, and I have been ever since I saw it, it was announced, because... Um, As a lot of people know, Morricone, any Morricone, um, didn't necessarily have a great time scoring it. And there's a kind of a lot of music that was unused that um, he went on to kind of redo or what have you um, for Tarantino's um, The Hateful Eight. So, the. Uh, the actual soundtrack um, as it was originally released by MCA Records and then on, on LP um, and then on CD um, by Verizzi Sarabande um, is not necessarily representative of the, uh, the, 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 the soundtrack the score in the film um, especially since not all of the score was actually done by Morricone and there were some uh, pieces in there um, that were done by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth Alan in association with Howarth um, and Waxwork showed a picture of the actual label the other day and the uh, the track listing was um, the uh, the, the the MCA track listing basically so just the Morricone stuff which is good because the uh, the MCA album is rare and expensive as most Carpenter um, stuff is um, and it's, it's been quite difficult to get hold of for a while um, so it means that that will finally be as affordable as it, as it can be, um, especially if we're here. But I was kind of hoping that maybe we would have uh, heard, or we would have been treated to, the complete score. So the Morricone stuff and the Carbon stuff together. It may be, especially since Morricone um, certainly very recently publicly has has been very um, careful about or very vocal about getting the rights to his music so it could be that he may have the rights to um, to the thing 
and maybe they had to work out a deal with him. Um, and if they were working out a deal with him, it's very doubtful that he would have wanted someone else's music on the album, especially reflective, if it, if it was reflective of not having a good time on the score. So, we're not getting it. Which is, it's, it's a bit of a sad thing, I would have liked it, but it's not happening. Um, there is an alternative, which was an album that was released a few years ago um, by the label BSX. <clears throat> um, now, what they did is they had a guy called Larry Hopkins go through and record, arrange and record the, uh, the complete score. And it's available um, on CD and it's available digitally. Um, so you can go in and listen to that. It's probably on Spotify and things like that. So, uh, and it sounds great. It sounds really, really good. Um, so that's certainly something to, uh, uh, to take into consideration. They also did a, uh, a Blade Runner album as well. Um, and I can't remember the uh, the name of the guy who uh, who did the average album, but it was the same thing. Um, I am just going to Google it here because if, if I'm doing this kind of semi-live, then might as well just just do it like this. Um, so basically, it was for the thirtieth anniversary. Um, there you go. Um, it was. Performed, produced and performed by Edgar Rothermick, and uh, it's really, really great. Um, <clears throat> it's completely synthesized, um, completely, and again, it has a lot of stuff that is not commercially available. I mean, the, the Blade Runner soundtrack has always kind of been a weird thing, anyway. Um, it's funny because there was originally in the if you watch the uh, the film. In the uh, the end credits, it says at the end, soundtrack available on I think it was Polydor tapes and records and what have you. Um, <clears throat> but for whatever reason, that album never materialised, um, and the uh, the only album that came out at the time was an album by what was called the New World Orchestra, um, which is basically a re-recording which was something that was not especially well received um, and it wasn't until 1994 that Vangelis um, released an actual album um, which again I don't know how it was received at the time but it's had a bit of a kind of 50-50 reputation especially because there's dialogue all over it um, and there's a lot of stuff in there that's not in the film and uh, where it's a score that people have been clamoring for just to hear all of it um, it was kind of seen as, as, as something to be desired and then when the 30th anniversary came around they reissued that album in a three disc set with another album which had some more unreleased um, tracks from the film and then it had like a third disc which was basically a new uh, recording of music influenced by Blade Runner by Vangelis um, so again that was kind of like a bit better but kind of was not seen necessarily as the the best so then they reissued they issued the this um, BSX record and uh has some really good stuff on there and kind of like a lot of the stuff that's, that's never been issued like the, the the bicycle riders and the things like that um which is the the uh, the gail lawton tune um because i guess that's the thing as well is there's, there's so many things that really scott kind of like took and there's the stuff that are from van that was Vangelis and then there's a couple of bits and other bits and pieces that really got pulled together um, 
so I imagine rights issues potentially preclude something like that, especially with the rights issues that uh, that has gone through with Blade Runner in the past, and the fact that it took so long to get the actual DVD and Blu-ray released. Um, maybe with the uh, with with the sequel coming up, that there may be some kind of change in that. Um, I don't know, but. <clears throat> One really nice thing was the uh, the '94 Vangelis album was released on vinyl um, a couple of years ago by Audio Fidelity, and it sounds amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, I definitely recommend just hunting that down. Um, it looks beautiful as well because it's all just crimson red, and uh, and it looks so nice. But uh, that's just a, just the sound quality of the album was just absolutely beautiful okay so yeah I've um, asked a uh, a couple of questions that people have uh, kind of sent in now and again um, asking about different things and I've done a tiny bit of research on a couple of them but um, more about that is just me trying to uh, just kind of answer them on the fly um right so <clears throat> one someone sent to me um last week was it uh, was carl wonders um on, on twitter um who asked how much influence did david arnold have on the final cutthroat island score um cutthroat island the big rennie harlan gina davis um Disaster that uh, I, th I think that, that was the, th the film that sunk Kuroko, um, which is a shame as they produce a lot of kick ass movies. Um, and uh, one of the one of the one things that people kind of celebrate about that film is the uh, the kind of swashbuckling score by John Debney, but originally it was. Um, David Arnold who was going to do that um, now looking at it, David Arnold kind of wrote a couple of themes and things like that and maybe recorded demos but didn't record anything um, and certainly didn't kind of write a whole score as far as, as far as I'm aware so how much influence do you have well John Debney's an interesting composer because he is quite a chameleon and he is often brought in when someone wants to evoke someone else's style. But here I don't think it was necessarily Arnold's style as opposed to kind of John Williams and the kind of Corngold stuff that came from like the pirate stuff and Captain Blood and the Seahawk and things like that. Um, which has influenced John Williams in the past anyway. So, I mean, Arnold's almost, or has always very much had a kind of John Williams influence to him and he listen to schools like Stargate and uh, um, Independence Day and things like that and it's it's very obvious um, so I think it was just kind of like a natural lineage thing anyway and especially yeah when you hear like other kind of some of the other John Debney schools that he's done I mean he did sort of like Predators and stuff like that which is very much just based on the Alan Silvestri um, Predators score so other than that, I don't think Arnold really had that much more uh, influence, really. Um, another one from Urlunga Einerson, who says, Why are the Oscars so much stricter on original score eligibility than the Golden Globes or the BAFTAs? <coughs> um, because they're grumpy old men. I don't know. I The Oscars baffle me in terms of uh, illegibility and every year there's always something that kind of sticks out where they just make some really really arbitrary kind of decision um, that means some really good music is left out <clears throat> uh, the obvious the one the ones this year the obvious one is Arrival um, the uh, Johan Johansson score which was disqualified apparently because of the use of a piece by um, composer Max Richter in the uh, in the score or on the soundtrack, um, 
I haven't seen the film, which is really, really annoying because I'm dying to see it. Um, but apparently it, it kind of opens and closes with, with the same piece. Um, so yeah, so that was disqualified. But then you go back last year, The Hateful Eight, which was, which won the Oscar for Morricone, um, which was certainly much more of a career, as, as good as the score was, was much more of a career award than anything else. Um, <clears throat> and was an inevitability um, from the moment his nomination was announced. Um, but uh, obviously, as previously discussed, that contained parts of what was the score to the thing. And um, a couple years back again, 2013, I think, The Artist, um, which had a perfectly serviceable score by uh, Ludovic Wars, but the, the final big climactic scene was scored with uh, Scene de Moi from Bernard Herrmann's Vertigo. And that won the Oscar. So, this is kind of like a funky little bit. Um, this is a really, really catchy score. It's got, I mean, it's got some really, really, really weird dissonant tones. Um, that kind of make it occasionally hard to listen to and that's why it makes it such a good horror score but again there's these little bits and it's just really really fun um yeah and then you had the period where they were trying to stop scores that had again that had pre-existing material in um which meant that howard shaw <clears throat> um howard shaw's lord of the rings so you had the fellowship of the ring which won the was nominated and won in two thousand one. Um, in two thousand three, the Return of the King was nominated and won. But in two thousand two, the Two Towers was disqualified because of this bullshit rule about pre-existing music. Um, when you look at the Lord of the Rings and the fact that it is this big kind of whole operatic thematic leitmotif Wagnerian thing. Um, it's bullshit, and especially since the two towers is a really fucking good score. Um, and was was certainly the best score that year in two thousand two. And again, so who knows? Who knows what they'll do next year? Maybe next year, John Williams will do another amazing, amazing score for um, Star Wars Episode Eight. And they'll disqualify it because it has the Star Wars main thing. <sighs> Who fucking knows what they'll do, really? <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the great bits about the Terminator is the way it kind of combines the, the normal timeline of 1984 with all the flashbacks and the dreams of the future and. Just, just really really haunting and this section here where you see Reese actually go back and you see the kind of poverty and the kind of the conditions that the uh, that people are living in particularly children are living in and then they uh, one of the one of the terminators managed to uh, to infiltrate the, uh, the the area um it's just really really kind of haunting and this kind of the, the, the whole film including the score has such kind of interesting texture to it especially because it is such a low budget film and this scene certainly this scene of like um a tv that's all been kind of broken and hollowed out and it's now a fire a, a makeshift fire for people and um just kind of like this this kind of image of the way people are living in the future because they've been oppressed and that's together with all the imagery of all the, the mountains of skulls and all that and the kind of the big canticular machines and all that kind of thing and just the pure devastation and uh, and you think from that hmm well Donald Trump's going to be the president what's to say judgment day is going to come um, but again the little moments here by Fidel 
some really powerful stuff. Um, <clears throat> so Screen Brum asks, why isn't Christabel Music, it's the Twitter name, um, the biggest star in Hollywood yet? Um, well, it's <laughs> an interesting question. So who he's actually referring to is Christo, a.k.a. Christopher Tapia de Vere, um, a Chilean composer who has kind of come on the scene recently with some great TV scores. Um, he did a series called Utopia. Um, he did a series called Humans as well. And um, a recently film called National Treasure. And he's also done an amazing score for a, uh, a brand new film called The Girl With All The Gifts which has done kind of a festival circuit, but I don't believe it's actually been released yet. Um, breaking out is so tough anyway. Um, and kind of like, <laughs> whether he actually wants to be one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Um, it's up to the studios. Um, we all know what the studios are like with their music. Um, so it certainly depends on the on kind of assignments he gets going on from the girl with all the gifts. But hopefully he'll get some good ones from that because the score is excellent and he really is a fantastic, really interesting composer. And the next one um, from Becky Gracely. I would love to know why I'm getting Asian bride emails. My mum desperately wants me married off, but I'm not sure that's what she has in mind. Um, I'm not sure what that has to do with film scores, but um, I'll try and think of an answer for that. And um, Najabalo Fungula, <coughs> he's written, mine's long, so here's a screenshot of it. Um, so let's read this out. But then first of all, let's listen to this because this is one of the best parts on the score. Um, the, uh, the obligatory sex scene with the, uh, where he goes and, uh, and proclaims his love. Says, I came through time for you, Sarah. And then starts angrily putting bombs in the bags. I should have done that um, before they have sex. But it's just a beautiful way to success. And the way it just kind of starts to build here. the film has such had such a weird kind of um like a success story to it is because not only a really effective um thriller horror sci-fi film but also a love story as well and uh, some really kind of powerful bits in that and this music coming from that okay um sorry Najabale. so uh, i'm gonna read this now Considering that in the 21st century, composers have the luxury of being able to draw inspiration from the past, both classical music works and film scores, hundreds of genres, as well as embracing modern recording technology, would you say that film music in the current age has embraced its potential or squandered it? That is, judging from what you hear in movies today. Now that is an interesting question. Okay, let's listen to this. Really jagged motif here. Um, has it embraced the potential or has it squandered it? 
Um, it's kind of 50-50. I like the one of the certain, the good things about film music nowadays is it has evolved. Film music always evolves. It always goes through different stages, and there are always things where the orchestral stuff is really. Um, it's really big and then you kind of get the electronic synthesizer stuff coming through um but i, I think film using at this point while mainstream film scoring i guess um is maybe a bit squandered it where you have the landscape at the moment which is very dominated by people like hans Zimmer and the hans Zimmer set of composers so um, Ramin Djawadi, um, Henry Jackman, people like that, um, Steve Yablonski. Sorry, I just didn't love that bit. Um, and then going from there, and you're thinking, hmm, that's where maybe it just, it's kind of oppressive, it's all kind of the same, it's all, it's all kind of con continuous string ostinatos that sound fake and a lot of time are fake because they're either samples or they're backed up by samples to make it sound fuller um percussion especially sounds fake whether it is fake or not and you just have this kind of factory feel to the whole thing which perhaps makes it sound distasteful but on the other side, <clears throat> you, mainstream, you still do have some really, really um, good composers like um, Joe Kramer and Michael Giacchino and people like that. Um, at least doing the, the kind of mainstream stuff. And then you have the more indie stuff. Um, the more kind of genre stuff where you have a lot of composers um people like Clint Mansell, Cliff Martinez, um Mika Levi, um Ben Wolfish, Daniel Pemberton. I'm gonna forget a load of people because I'm terrible with names. Um where it is getting really, really interesting. And, uh, and it has been kind of for a while. So certainly a lot of the people that have kind of been popping over from the uh, um, the pop music rock side of things as well. I mean, controversial figures that they are. Trent Reznor is is one that uh, that's produced some brilliant brilliant music, um, but is still seen as a very kind of controversial figure. But so I'd say yes and no. And depending on how you look at it um, but uh, that's a question that always comes up and uh, is always difficult to answer um, another one is this another one here which is uh, always comes up and always difficult to answer from uh, Morgan Jones um, who's an awesome guy I talk to a lot who said, what is the film score you would love to get pressed, but you know the master tapes are probably lost? Now, uh, yeah, this is the thing that, that generally kind of comes up quite a lot. Um, that maybe without wanting to be condescending or mansplaining or score-splaining, I don't know, um, explaining how a score or an album that's produced um, so generally especially if it's something that's the way it's, where it's maybe reissued or something like that or whatever um, so when the uh, when this when the score is recorded it's recorded onto these the master tapes and then the uh, from there the, the uh, the film mix and dub is is made and then it goes on from there um and then either an album is made from those master tapes there and then and then released or you just have the master tapes just sitting there in the vaults 
and what have you and I'm just going to come back to this set because this cute where um, they blow up the, the truck the big articulated truck that the, uh, the Terminator is driving um, and he goes up in flames is amazing just this bit here It's kind of kind of, and then you have Sarah and, and Kyle's kind of emotional um, reunion. <laughs> Kyle diving into a weedy bin. Um, I don't know if that's what they call it in America. Um, and they have that over type thing and again this is something straight out of Halloween this is Michael Myers this is this is Laurie Strode thinking she's it's all over and Michael Myers sitting up in the background and turning and, and tilting his head um, so when the Terminator comes out of the fire here The kind of final form of the endoskeleton. It's like wow, such a such an amazing moment, um, both just visually and in, in the music as well. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, so I mean that because that kind of messes up sometimes. So where you, where you have from the master tapes, you have an album released, and then down the line you want to release the complete score, then usually you have to make a deal with whoever released that album in the first place um, which is usually one of the big major labels um, because of the material that's on there um, but on the other hand you just go and kind of go back and if it's nothing that's been released before just kind of do a deal with the studio to get the tapes from them and then release it and publish them from there um, however these things go missing or in terms of depends on where they're kept because um, you have the uh, the big kind of salt mines that they keep all the film cans in um, and all that kind of thing but just in uh, in 2008 I just had to google the date um, Universal's there was, there was a fire at Universal Studios um, which destroyed some of the sets and things but also just laid absolute fucking waste to um, the archive material which is just a horrendous thing really horrendous but uh so I don't know what's lost there, but the, one, of, one of my answers is a universal film. So we'll, we'll cover that first, which is Psycho. Um, so, Bernard Home and Psycho. There was a re-recording done, um, which was released by the Unicorn label, which is a really good, a really good recording. Um, and there's, that was on vinyl, and there's been others since. There was one in uh, the um, job with... McNeely did for Varese Sarabande. They did like a series of uh, of Herman and Hitchcock uh, scores as well as other things. Um, with the uh, the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, and they had like the, they had Jerry Goldsmith um, conduct Alex North's rejected music from uh, from two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. Um, so I mean, Psycho's an amazing, amazing score. So there's definitely recordings of it, but there's, there's never been the original original tapes um, there are albums let's see this in inverted commas um, out there but uh, they're bootlegs this one on the, the doxy label that yeah I do own I will admit to that I'm not a fan of it I'm not a fan that I actually spent money on it and the fact that a lot of legitimate outfits um, stock Doxy Records but the thing is the copyright laws here in regards to this kind of thing um, in the UK are not the same as in America so in the UK 
there's some kind of arcane law where if 50 years have passed um, then stuff can be released but then it's kind of it's not necessarily put to a it's kind of really really difficult but um, basically this album is legal in the UK uh, and maybe in the EU as well um, technically I'm not, I don't know but um, in the uh, but in, in, in America it would be illegal because the copyright laws are different um, and basically the um, the album, the, the album, the Doxy album, is taken from a really shit source, which is the Laserdisc, um, the music and effects track, um, or at least the, the music only track from the um, from the Laserdisc, which was I think in 1998 or something like that, maybe earlier. I don't know. Um, So that was kind of annoying. Um, so it just sounds, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't sound very good. It sounds okay. It's listenable. I'm certainly the kind of person that could listen to stuff in really bad shape if it's the original tracks, because I just have that much interest in listening to the, the original material. Um, But uh, so it's whether or not those tapes survive um, anywhere. And if they were in that fire that went up, if there are any kind of safety copies that were kept, who knows? Um, but it's such an important score that it really, really deserves to be preserved and presented properly. Um, one which is generally... It's, kind of mostly um, considered lost up until recently uh, which was the John Barry James Bond score Moonraker um, which was uh, recorded in France um, and apparently uh, people said originally that the, the French studio um, CTS I think it was um, just threw it out uh, which apparently is, is bullshit and apparently they are around somewhere but to be honest unless something big happens all of the James Bond scores should really be considered lost because Eon don't give a fuck about what happens to them and it's amazing that Bond has such an amazing musical legacy um, with the songs obviously but the scores as well um, and there were um, circa I don't know, again, you're probably maybe talking uh, mid late 90s, um, some expansions of some of the scores done. Um, but again, okay, it was a, not a massive budget or amount of time put to the, uh, the, the project leaders. So only a certain amount of scores could be looked at. Um, which was most of the uh, the earlier John Barry ones. Um, so and until Eon sort themselves out, I mean, considering last year, like the fiftieth anniversary has been and gone of Bond. Um, so until Eon do something, then we've got no chance. Um, another is, is John Williams as Jane Eyre. Um, which the, uh, the the original album by Capitol Records has been reissued a couple of times. It's an amazing score. It's one of his best. The, the main theme is absolutely unbelievable. Um, but it, it's it's just awesome. But uh, again, go on. And on topic here, Terminator 2. Um, recently, Terminator 2 was issued on vinyl and CD by Silver Screen. And... Um, it was found out then that, 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 that Brad Fido tried to find the master tapes and they were lost which sucks as it's a really good score it's a really different score he's a much more kind of orchestral palette with it and there's a lot of kind of choir and stuff like that choral stuff and yeah so 
that's a bit shit. But uh, and here we're uh, actually right at the end of the film. Where uh, Sarah finds that, that Kyle's dead, and that the Terminator is dead. But again, is he dead? unsettling kind of tortured sound and he is dead and I must have been talking over the uh, the bit where his arm comes out and grabs her while she's a, uh, um, well, he's in the press. <laughs> so, uh, never mind. Um, so yeah, T2 is another one that, uh, um, to be honest, if I did a bit more research, there's probably loads of stuff I can think of, but Psycho, Moonraker, Jane Eyre, Terminator 2 is really, really solid scores that sadly, um, are yet to see the light of day in, um, any more of an expanded score, although with any luck, Moonraker is going to get a re-recording soon, depending on what Eon and the uh, the lawyers say. See, this is the bit that was missing from the previous record, and it's just amazing. coming and this really violent so that, that image of the storm over that desert road as she drives off in the jeep and just those massive chords coming up it's just just such an indelible image and it was so upsetting to find out that it wasn't on the previous album um, but thankfully, uh, thank you, thanks to Nicholas Winding Refn, um, sanity has been restored. So Brad Fido had kind of like a, a, a pretty good career. I mean, he did stuff like, like uh, as well as obviously Terminator Two, and his theme themes being used in all of the other Terminator films in, in some way. Um, so there, there's been more, like, three more films after that. So, and then there was the, uh, um, the Sarah Connor Chronicles TV series. Um, but he did some other really nice scores, like Fright Night, um, the, uh, the the Big Easy, which is the Dennis Quaid, Ellen Barkin, um, like Neon Noir, which is a really, really good film. Um, the West Craven Horror, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Um, the, the Jonathan Demme um, rape drama, The Accused, with uh, Kenny McGuinness and Jodie Foster. Um, Blue Steel, which is the Catherine Bigley film with uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Went back with Cameron for True Lies. And uh, Johnny Mnemonic, and uh, that was kind of one of his last, his last scores. Um, but he's he's nice, and he's still out there, and 
Um, doing other things and I'm actually friends with him on Facebook and you can hunt him down and just ask him to be your friend and he'll chat to you he's, he's really cool really um, so we are coming to the end of the Terminator um, if you are still with me doing this thank you for sticking around um, so you can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com strict movie drone. Um, search for movie drone on iTunes. Um, you can find us on Twitter at movie drone and at movie drone TDF. Um, Facebook.com strict movie drone. Um, and then the uh, the website, which is movie drone dot the digital fix dot com. Um, so give us a shout on any of those with what you thought any feedback whether you like it whether you hate it um if this is going to go on it's going to need a name so you want to hit us up with some suggestions for names or maybe even some future scores that i can listen to and uh and we can go through and uh hopefully judgment day doesn't pass after all but thanks for listening